0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, James Anderson. We are brought to you by WinBet, and we have a very special guest this week rob silver of the launch angle podcast uh you've probably heard clay and i and jeff and lots of people talking to rob uh, throughout the years rob's one of the best in the biz um very excited to to see you rob in a, in a couple yeah. months in las vegas but uh today we're going to talk uh some more kind of strategy some sort of roster construction stuff um I am going to give Rob some some hypotheticals, and I think we're going to flush out some 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 cool stuff. But first, how are you doing, Rob?
2: I'm doing well. Uh, it was we we had you on the launch angle uh, last week, and you're two weeks last week two weeks ago, and you were awesome. It was so much fun talking to you. We talked prospects, and it was great. And it's been great having all your uh, fellow Rotowire podcasters uh, suddenly reappearing in my. Uh, stream, you were you were the lone wolf, the the lobo <laughs> cell solo uh, for quite a while. But uh, hearing Zinky back and hearing Scott Scott and Jeff uh, back, e- even if we're just like kidding ourselves that baseball is just around the corner, uh, and who knows what the future uh, holds? It's been great having uh, having everybody back uh, doing podcasts again, talking baseball as if there is baseball to be talked.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really just kind of more of a distraction than anything at this point. Totally. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> we are we are probably a good uh, three four months away from from games. So um, who knows? I I,
2: I I am approaching it as if it's all going to somehow magically work out, and I don't know what date it's going to work out. But I am just I'm I'm assuming I'm going to be in Vegas, and I have my flight booked and my hotel booked, and I am prepping as if I will be doing drafts in Vegas. I have no idea if that's. Uh, uh, ridiculous, but but again, it makes me happy to be acting as if it's real. So why would I do the opposite? That would make me unhappy and sad. I like I prefer being happy than sad. So that is how I am governing myself.
1: Yes, I think that's it's a, a good way to go about it. Uh, as I said, I'm I'm just going to be basically throwing some hypothetical scenarios at Rob here. Uh, we are going to do this through an NFBC lens, uh, more specifically, a fifteen-team NFBC lens. Uh, Hopefully, even if you don't play NFBC, you find it helpful as we kind of discuss some players and some roster construction ideas. But uh, I I know tons of our listeners play in in the NFBC at this point, and I think it'll be uh, extremely helpful for them. Um, And so I want to I want to get things started with with this question, Rob, uh, because it's a it's a question that uh, I've been faced with in in all four of my drafts. Let's say that in the you're picking in the middle of the draft, so you're picking seventh or eighth. Uh, in the first round and the second round, you took uh, a hitter and a starting pitcher. Um, you know, pretty classic build. And you're in the third round. You're in the middle of the third round. Um, let's say that you know whoever your favorite third round shortstop is is available, and whoever you're favorite third round closer is is available and let's even say that all the catchers are available. Sure. Um are you going to go with one of the shortstops, one of the closers, one of the catchers or are you going to go uh completely off script?
2: See, my it's funny, it's funny when you propose this uh this format James. My my background's of course in in politics and every politician in every country, and uh, this is not getting partisan, I promise. Uh, The first thing you learn like in in kindergarten of politician school is don't answer hypothetical questions. But (laughs) boy, it would be a really, really bad podcast if you keep throwing hypothetical questions at me and I just refuse to accept the premise of the question. So I'm going to assume in this first hypothetical that the hitter I took, whether it's in round one or uh, round two, had some speed. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't Vlad, it wasn't even Trout, it's somebody better than Trout in terms of uh, on the stolen base side. So that I'm feeling in this round three pick, not that I'm set for speed, so I, it's not Trey Turner, obviously, who somehow slipped uh, to pick seven, but I have I, I don't have a zero or close to zero uh, in the speed front. And I'll also assume just because otherwise I'm gonna make a mockery of the uh, hypothetical that neither Hayter nor Liam uh, Hendricks have fallen to me somehow in the third round. So that the, the best closer uh, on my board is Razel. And if I'm going closer, that that's really uh, the choice because uh, otherwise everybody's gonna be yelling at their podcast machines uh, saying, well, no kidding, Hater somehow fell to you there. That's That seems uh, uh, silly though, I think by the mains, he may uh, be falling in some uh, mains, we'll see uh, there. Um, I think for me, the pick though is Razel. Uh, and the reason is, it's all about, and I mean, this maybe you know, fantasy fantasy sports is not that different from regular sports. We're all in a copycat environment. When one, one, one team does something uh, and it works, everybody the next year uh, decides we I, that's that's how you win and we have to do that. So maybe it's all just because Phil Dussaud, who you had on a great episode uh, a few weeks ago, uh, this is kind of his approach that he's talked about. And therefore, even those of us who've had some success uh, copy it, but it's very appealing, which is keeping as much optionality open through the draft as possible, and especially with a um, scarce resource like saves. And again, by the time we're in drafts with opening day right around the horizon, things may be different. There may be more clarity in terms of more rules, and therefore it may be a lot more comfortable waiting into around nine, round ten to attack uh, saves. But the benefit of locking down a uh, certain closer, even just one uh, certain closer, I think, is then going forward in your draft, you don't feel like you need to reach. And while Phil articulates it slightly different, that's basically his point. He, you know, he—I don't think it was on. It was on. Um, Draft Champions podcast where he talked, he had some acronym for it. I'm, I'm not gonna uh, dignify him by repeating uh, his made up <laughs> acronym. acronym. Um, but it's all about uh, trying to get in a position like fantasy from the beginning of time as you know has all been about whether it's an auction or a straight draft you have a finite amount of resources to spend and you need to outperform those resources with stats by the end of the season so in auction terms because I think it's the easiest way to conceptualize it if you have a $260 budget by the end of the year if you want to win your league or win an overall and and beat you know hundreds of teams you need to get 320 340 whatever it is of value out of of those $260 of of resources uh, that you've spent. Straight drafts, no different. It's just picks instead of uh, dollars. There's no one way to do it, but in a roto format, the complexity that's added in, unlike um, just a pure points league or in a football uh, draft where it all just gets into a point and it spits out a points, is you also have to attack categories. So what I think you want to avoid is you want to... Uh, there are certain categories you may have to quote unquote overpay for, like like saves and stolen bases are the two most uh, obvious. But what you'll want to try to do is overpay the least while accumulating the most value on your roster if you accept the fact that I am going to overpay for saves. And I think certainly as of right now, everybody's overpaying for saves. So the only question is, am I going to overpay for a good closer who I think has, let's say, an 80% chance of holding the job, doing the job and staying healthy through the years, or for the years? Or do I want to overpay for a guy who has a 30% chance of performing holding the job and staying healthy uh, for the years. Those are made up hypotheticals, but that's the question because the only other alternative is I'm punt and saves and I'll hope, hope for the best or I'll, I'll find saves during the season. Um, so yeah, that's why I think my choice uh, in the third would be a uh, How about you? Who would you take in that same hypothetical? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um...
1: Well, I, I can tell you in in the four drafts I've done in the third round, I've ended up with um Tim Anderson, Emmanuel Classe, and uh let's see. No, Tim Anderson twice and Emmanuel Classe twice. Um so do you have Classe
2: ahead of uh Iglesias? Like is that is he your he is your third closer? He is. Uh, okay. well, can I ask can I ask why? No, i'm not saying it's 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 the wrong answer i'm just curious why you have him ahead of uh ahead of razel
1: i just think he's better um, yeah so he has,
2: he has the potential his his 80th percentile season is much closer to Hendricks or or uh or hater um than razel who i think his 80th 90th percentile season is basically a repeat last year, which to be clear, last year he earned th- third round value. So when I say you overpay, if you can get the exact same se- uh, season for Razel, you've broken even. And I would argue if you break even on your third round pick, you've done very well with that. Whereas I, I don't uh, disagree that the Classe has a better season in him. He also has a worse season in him.
1: I yeah, think. I think I think uh, it's sort of track record versus. um Skills, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I I think Class A is the perfect closer from a a skill standpoint. Um, Just. Going to generate ground balls at like a sixty percent clip and 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 strikeouts, uh, strike out a ton of. <laughs> and, and,
2: and this 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 is the uh, this is the Scott Jentstad point, and he's not a guy who, at least so far in his career, comes in and walks the first two guys because there is absolutely nothing worse than. I mean, pitchers by definition will walk guys. Nobody has a uh, nobody's Greg Maddox, uh, who's who's closing uh, in baseball. Uh, these days. Um, but there's nothing worse than having your closer come in with a one run lead, walk the first two guys and it's, you know, here we go again, uh, kind of thing. And he, he doesn't have that problem.
1: Yeah. And, and the reason why I think this is a, a, an interesting question is because I think if you're picking in the middle of the third round and you're in the NFBC main event, um, you cannot expect, um, one of the better closer options to be there in the fourth round.
2: And that, and that is the, that is part of optionality. And that is, I think part of game uh, theory, which is, you, have, you, you may be asking me a hypothetical question uh, later on about guys like Jordan Romano, about guys like Will Smith, who are perfectly fine closers to have as your closer one. The concern is, do I want to take them in the fourth rounds? And if you don't take uh, a top closer in the third round, you may have to. I mean it's your draft you can do whatever you want you nobody has to do anything so we say this very dramatically i had no choice uh, but to take him well you always have a choice it's your pick you can do whatever you want and people may laugh at you but who cares it's your money that you put uh, down but you never want to be in a position where you feel like i had no option because you don't know who's going to drop with them you never like there's all kinds of reasons so you may be finding yourself in a position in the fourth round where you're truly reaching for a guy if you don't take a guy there. The counter argument to all of this is you are passing on a Tim Anderson uh, there in your hypothetical. And Tim Anderson has a really rare combo of speed, uh, batting average uh, base, hitting on top of a great lineup. And I know we've gotten so blase of, well, oh, I can find runs. I'll stream hitters. Like who, ooh, don't, don't be a sucker, Rob, and, and and make the argument that Tim Anderson's going to score lots of runs because he's hitting at the top of a really good lineup. It's like, you can find runs, but they're not coming with 300 average and stolen bases and helping you everywhere else. Like Anderson's a true five category guy and they there ain't that many of those after anderson's gone because you didn't get trey turner uh at the start of the draft and anderson's not trey turner obviously that's why he's there in the third round but that is the opportunity cost like we you can't pretend like the argument both of us are making of like keep your options open don't doesn't come with a massive opportunity cost and if you don't get Anderson or you don't like Anderson uh for whatever reason like like I I like Tyler O'Neill a ton you've you this would be ahead of his ADP but you're passing on a guy like that uh here too who again there are not that many guys who have the ceiling uh and at least now one season of track record of a power speed uh, combo so it, it comes at a big cost here in the third round when you when you take that closer here
1: yeah and I, and just for kind of full disclosure so I the the two times I took Tim Anderson were my first two drafts of the year and I was able to get uh Ryan Presley in the fourth in one and Edwin Diaz in the fourth in the other um and I don't I don't expect that to be a realistic, uh, outcome, um, going forward. And those were, I think those were probably December, early January drafts. And then, um, the two times I took class a, uh, I got Tyler O'Neill in the fourth in one and JT Ramuto in the fourth in the other. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was happy with those outcomes. I don't know if those outcomes are all that realistic come, come main event time.
2: And the problem is, I could give you back a hypothetical. Like, if you knew that Presley was going to be there in the fourth, do you take uh, Class A uh, in the third? And the answer probably is no. If I if I knew, like, if you could guarantee me, Rob, that 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 uh, one of those closers are going to be there in the fourth, then the whole decision making process uh, is different. But in real life, you don't know who's going to be there. You can you can look at. You know, once the the mains get going, you can look at ADP, and you can do like percentile likelihood that one of these three players uh, are there. And there's, you know, there's different sites that help you with it. There's, if you know basic statistics and, and Excel, you can create a formula of what are the what is the percentage likelihood of of event A, event B, and event C uh, happening. Um, but that doesn't guarantee anything because that's the nature of uh, of the mains once they start spread out over two three weeks, depending on how the schedule uh, is set out, is when everybody sees. And I'm making up numbers here that Ryan Presley's uh, ADP um, settles at forty, at forty six or whatever the number uh, is. And I want Ryan Presley. Then suddenly, draft the next draft. It goes at forty two, and then it goes at forty one, and and starts uh, pushing up for those limited uh, commodities. So um, it's tough. I will say this is one of the good arguments for drafting in the middle of drafts, right? Because you you have, I, and I look, I won the main overall drafting from spot 15, and I, I really like the turn, too. There are benefits of the turn. But one of the benefits of the middle is you can play a little bit more of the, uh, I'm going to push closer here because, in the next fifteen spot uh, picks before it comes back to me, there are four closers I like, and I and two guys behind me already have closers. So I think the odds of one of those four guys making it back to me is ninety three percent. So I will I will roll the dice. It's just much harder when you're at the end to play that game. You need to be more more aggressive uh, the flip side is if you're at the end you can force other people to be more uh, aggressive so there's power in both sides but this is like the way you've described those drafts going I think is one of the benefits of being somewhere towards the middle um, uh, of drafts
1: yeah and and this is a generally I want to be picking in the middle um, in just a random year this is a year though where um, you yeah, know I think Phil laid it out on on the pot I did with him pretty well i think there is a pretty clear top seven and then uh i like the combinations you can put together uh down at the turn and i think just in terms of first and second round the middle is maybe the toughest place to be if you're picking eighth or ninth who
2: who is your pick eighth assume assume the top seven goes the way uh (laughs) it goes and you're you're at pick eight who do you think you take right uh, as of today i won't hold you to it if uh if you change your mind between now and, and march
1: um I've actually had to make this pick twice. Um uh, one time I took Otani, one time I took Scherzer, and I was very unsatisfied with both of those picks, and I think if I was picking eighth again, I probably would pick a third guy. <laughs> um, That's so good. Uh I you know, I think like you know, Luis Roberts, Ronald Acuña, um even like Woodruff, uh Wheeler, like there there's just there's a case for for all those guys there i mean um, i mean that
2: is the interesting thing is especially if the season god forbid gets delayed then acuna becomes part of the top eight i think uh oh, yeah. if, if yep. his his value goes up so quickly every day that the season gets delayed because he's just he plays in a higher percentage of the games Uh, Every day, We don't know when he's going to be ready, but um, the odds of him being ready on May 1st are much higher than the odds of him being ready on April 1st. I don't think that's a particularly um, deeper revelatory observation. And I think if you knew that he was healthy pretty close to opening day, it's hard to make the argument. I mean, well, it's not that hard. The argument against it is how much is he going to run, especially in the first half of the season? I think even if you set his floor on stolen bases, though, at 10 stolen bases over a six month season, he's still clearly, I think, in the top eight of players. So even if you discount dramatically his uh, running compared to the public projection, certainly, or what his uh, stolen base rate has been in uh, previous seasons, I think he's a pretty easy call for the top eight if he's healthy and um he, he may be help, healthy by april first though i think people are over reading into those videos in the batting cage no way a little bit just a little bit i think we all we're all so Wait, guilty this of is, this. Hold on. I this uh and you're a guy who actually scouts people it's amazing how like mediocre professional athletes look awesome when they're in like in a, in a tank top and shorts and doing whatever it is their sport is right. Like you could yeah. literally look at Ryan Goins taking <laughs> uh, batting practice and you would be like, my God, Ryan Goins is going to have a breakout. Look at the way he's just destroying the ball there and yeah. batting practice in his arms. He's like chiseled. I don't know what kind of training Ryan Goins has been doing, but he looks awesome. And needless to say, Ronald Acuna is a better athlete, even if he can barely walk than Ryan Goins is. So it's just so easy to get like sucked in by that because they're all freaks. They're all superhuman. So I really try not to watch any of those uh, videos because I'm human, too. And I see it. And and like even if it's just deep in your subconscious, it's so hard not to say they look so good at what they're doing.
1: Rob, did you know that you uh, <laughs> Darvish's slider moves um, across <laughs> the plate and would be hard to hit if you were? I trying had to hit I it?
2: had no idea, and and then he has other pitches that move in the opposite direction. Can you believe yeah. that he can both hit the inside corner and the outside corner with pitches? I don't know if there's another pitcher in baseball who's <laughs> capable of doing that, but you Darvish, yes, it's, he, it's he what makes you Darvish special. Uh, his slider Very, moves oh, across, special the- and they're quite
1: unique. Yes. <laughs> um and if if anyone wants like some more on just sort of the the game theory behind taking early closers i would recommend uh looking at ariel cohen's uh thread from from a couple days ago i thought he he did a really good job of kind of breaking that down um so the next the next hypothetical i kind of want to talk about a couple guys who who haven't been getting much run on twitter lately uh wander franco and, and jazz chisholm um now I, my theory is that come main event time, Wander Franco and Jazz Chisholm are going to be going very close to each other. Um, and let's say they might be going early, early fifth round, early to mid fifth round is kind of where I'm expecting things to settle because I think speed is just going to be uh prized much more uh in the main events than it's being um right now and i think there's going to be a bit more of kind of a consensus on maybe some of the limitations of, of Wander Franco in that department um so let's say that you're picking um early fifth round like maybe you know four picks into the fifth round uh and you're deciding between Wander Franco or Jazz Chisholm is that a decision you would ever be actually making um would you just not take either one and just assume there's someone you like more um, or will you will you humor me and, and make a call between those two guys? I I I,
2: I will definitely humor you. Uh, I don't think that I will be in a position. Where I, I I like less. There will be somebody in every single room I am in this year who like both of them more than I do. I can say that with a fair bit of uh confidence. And I posted some negative things about Wander Franco uh this week on on Twitter and. James, I have posted about Middle East politics, <laughs> abortion, and uh, all, and you know who the next president of the United States should be. And I'm quite certain I have never gotten the vitriol that I got. Uh, I don't know if Wander Franco has like a bot farm out there protecting his reputation from from poor fantasy baseball players like me. Um, obviously, I love Wander Franco the player. Uh, The real life player, there are 29 other teams that would uh, do literally anything they could to get Wander Franco on their team, but we don't care about uh, that. All that being said, if in this hypothetical, I have to take one of them for whatever, you know, the NFBC has taken a nasty turn and somebody has a gun to my head at the draft table. And if I don't take one of them, uh, it's not going to end well for me. uh, I take Wander Franco over Jazz Chisholm a hundred times out of a hundred. And it doesn't uh, it's not even uh, much of a decision. So I am willing to be wrong about Jazz uh, this year. Going into last season, Steamer had him preseason for a 665 OPS and the bat a 640 OPS. As everybody knows, the first month of the season, he was spectacular. 969 OPS and 85 uh, plate appearances. Then he got hurt, came back. The rest of the season, he had 681 OPS and 422 uh, plate appearances that came along with a 236 batting average and a 296 OPS. If you are a Jazz fan, um, which sounds weird uh, saying it out loud, but if you like the jazz, uh, then your excuse is well, he was hurt and he was never fully healthy again. You can you can spin a narrative on why first month jazz is what we should be expecting long term, and and pay no attention to what happened uh, for the the four months of the season after uh, he came back. You could also point out and be quite fair, Rob, I don't care how good a baseball player he is from a fantasy perspective, even though he struggled and batting average, you know, matters. Uh, but what, why do you keep raising OPS? I don't play in an OPS league. That is not a category I care about. I care about his home runs and his stolen bases. And he was still just fine uh, the rest of the season. Uh, truth. Um but I I do not I do worry about his real baseball uh, skills uh, right now and how good he is. So when I compare the two of them, um, I think I, I, I mean, it, it is – I think Jazz Chisholm could be on this uh, podcast right now, and he would agree Wander Franco is going to have a significantly higher batting average, 99 times. If we simulated uh, 2022, 99 times out of 100, Wander uh, Franco, who obviously has uh, – already an elite, elite, elite hit tool uh, in the league uh, will challenge if not exceed 300, and uh, Jazz is at real risk of being below 240, so it's going to be a negative. Um, I think in the power department, I think Jazz's ceiling right now is probably higher than Franco, but I don't know that I I wouldn't feel comfortable making a bet who hits significantly more uh, homers than the other uh, guy. And while people drafting Wander Franco, I think are overestimating his uh, stolen base potential because he just, that's not what his game has been so far uh, at any level really. I think his. I think when you put the whole package together from just a valuation perspective, Wander Franco for me comes out way ahead uh, of Chisholm. So it's uh, it's if I had to pick one of them, it's even though I, I think he's being drafted Franco, uh, I would take him over Chisholm. You? Uh,
1: I would take jazz. Uh, I know. Yes, that I know
2: I, you're a jazz fan.
1: I know that I'm in the minority there. Um, that's okay. That's, people... why, that's
2: why this is interesting.
1: The people who are coming at you on Twitter, uh, I, mean, I hope that they they hear this and, and understand that you uh, have some nice things to say about Wander Franco. Um, I, you know, uh, there is certainly a downside risk with jazz, and I, you know, the more smart people like you and and uh, Derek Van Riper and and others uh, point out the downside with jazz potentially I'm wrong about where he's going in main events. Maybe he's going in the sixth round. Um, that would be, that would be good for you. Could could definitely happen. Um, yeah. And then that brings out that, that introduces a whole another level of, uh, game theory of me trying to decide when I take jazz, uh, if there's a chance that he's there in the next round. Um,
2: how many guests can you have between now and March who don't like Chisholm to talk down <laughs> Chisholm on every single podcast to ensure you get him a late around later? Yeah. Uh, I think you probably have at least six, seven, eight weeks left of podcasts you could do. Just just survey the industry and see who you can get on. Sorry, continue making the case because I'm cur- I, I obviously really respect your opinion, so I'm I
1: am open to being convinced. Um, so it's uh. You know, he is a guy that I would have, I did not have jazz uh, anywhere in uh, Mm -hmm. NFBC leagues last year because I thought he was just not um, ready to be uh, an everyday big leaguer. Um, I thought that eventually, like, and I still had him ranked as a, as a top uh, 35 prospect going into the year, because I thought there were going to be some bumps last year and then this year would be kind of his breakout year um and i think last year maybe sort of qualifies as a as a breakout i mean he was he wasn't uh he was slightly below league average as a hitter but you know 18 home runs 23 steals um i think that that qualifies so every time that he has um been bumped up uh, a level uh there's been like a, a period where um, you know, he kind of figures out the pitching um, over over a span of time. And I think I just I saw enough um, from him last year to think that he will take a step forward this year. Like I think all the points you you make are, are valid. I'm I'm very confident in him holding on to an everyday job all season. Um, I know that that is something that you know people have talked about that with uh, like Adalberto Mondesi in the past, and just saying, well, he's a bad real life hitter. Like maybe he loses his job. I think if you look at the the team context in Miami, um, they targeted Jazz in that Zach Allen trade because Jazz was someone that provided um, the upside of being an up the middle player that they could build around offensively because they just didn't have anyone like that in the pipeline. Um, And I just, I can't picture him being so bad that he ever gets sent down. And even if he just kind of carries over what he did last year, um, I, you know, I think that you're, you're talking about 2020. uh, And I I think that that's, that's an easy projection um, to make. And I think there's, a chance that the stolen bases get up to 30 uh so i i just think that that's a combination of power and speed that you can't get after jazz um in drafts like i just don't think there's anyone else out there who's got a realistic shot of getting to those thresholds and it just really kind of frees you up to do um a lot of stuff later on in the draft that uh, wander franco does not free you up to do um uh-
2: yeah, no, I hear what you're saying, uh, and I agree with you that despite, he will have to struggle um, horrendously uh, to open the season to be sent down. I don't know that John Birdie is taking his job uh, anytime soon. Uh, <clears throat> I do worry that he gets dropped down to 7th or 8th in the lineup uh, if he's hitting uh, poorly. And you can say, well, but he'll still hit home runs. He'll still... Stolen bases, he, he becomes less interesting to me. From May 1st on last year, uh, Rugnido Dor had a 286 WOBA. Uh, Elvis Andrews had a 290 WOBA. Jazz Chisholm had, had a 293 WOBA. I think that I, I hear what you're saying. And, and again, you, you, uh, you have more credibility on this because you actually put out a list and say, I really like him before the season. I do wonder how the market would be um, viewing him if he didn't have that ridiculous April. And I I think that if he had struggled the way he did from May 1st to the rest of the season, when he was one of the worst hitters uh, in baseball, not fantasy, but in baseball, I think the perception of him would be different, which doesn't mean that it's right that different perspective. You might be getting him in the eighth or ninth round if if he hadn't had that crazy 86 plate appearances to start the season and again he had those 86 plate appearances they do count like i can't just magic you know wave them away and pretend like they didn't happen but you make you make a good argument there is no doubt that he could hit 230 and if he goes 2030 uh, he's, uh, easily worth way more than a sixth round, uh, pick and you can figure out your batting average somewhere else. So you can fix that. You can adjust, uh, for that. And I don't think he's going to be, despite my cheap shot using rognito Dor to compare him to, I don't think he's Rugnit Dor. Like I think he's, he's better than that. And he doesn't have some of the structural flaws that Rugnit Door does that make him, uh, obviously unownable in fantasy at this point.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's the, the whole, a lot of my premise is sort of, I'm expecting growth and you can get into trouble when you expect growth from players, especially when you're having to draft them in the fifth round um, or even the sixth round. Uh, so, I mean, I, it's, I understand why people would be staying away. Um, um,
2: because that is the alternative is what if he's 20% worse than he was last year? And if he's 20% worse, it doesn't matter what Miami, uh, wants to do. It doesn't matter if it's like John Birdie, who's the replacement. You can't keep putting him out there if, if, if he's right. 20% worse. And by definition, in terms of his range of outcomes, uh, that's possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, like nobody was, nobody was expecting, Keston Hira to just be without a job um, at this stage in his career uh, Yes, even though his strikeout rate was very high as well Um, all right when we uh, we're going to hit a quick break Uh, when we come back uh, I'm going to talk more with Rob about some draft hypotheticals but first a message from our sponsors
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed
1: If there's one thing we appreciate here at RotoWire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with RotoWire's newest partner, Winbet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. Winbet is now exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's Fantasy Podcasts. Winbet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, moneyline bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in eight states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W Y N N B E T, WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, we are back. Uh, the next hypothetical I've got for Rob Silver is let's say you don't have a closer yet, and it's the middle of the fifth round, and the top, what is that, top seven guys are gone. Um, Araldis Chapman is off the board. Uh, Ryan Presley, long gone, Edwin Diaz, long gone. Um, are you taking everyone's favorite? I feel like Dylan Cease is just the guy that in in every draft I'm in, as soon as he gets taken, someone complains that they were sniped. So I think he's, he's, he's the most popular. He's got a universal approval rating right now, Dylan Cease. Um, you don't have a closer. Would you take Dylan Cease in the fifth round, or would you take one of the... Kenley, Will Smith, Gallegos, Romano types in the fifth round
2: um first half, uh nick pollock doesn't like uh dylan cease i did the p- uh, <laughs> panel at pitchcon when we talked about dylan cease and uh nick came on at the end as as our gracious host and made clear he has no idea why everybody thinks uh dylan cease is going to be awesome this year so you if you if you want to do an hour podcast on why dylan cease uh is not going to be awesome and, and move that market uh james you can bring uh nick pollock on to make the case against Uh, Dylan sees, I like Dylan sees, but in your hypothetical, if I was going, if, if I'm uh, willing to take a uh, closer in the third round to keep uh, my optionality open, if I don't have a closer and it's the fifth round uh, and let's, let's play the game again, I'm picking in the middle. So uh, there's, you know, the odds of it coming back to me again, or well, to be fair, it's, it's the same thing. If I'm at the end, Uh, I assume if I don't take one of these closers here, they ain't coming back to me uh, the next round, um, then I would take one of the closers. The closers, uh, you, you you named four closer, Kenley, Will Smith, Gallegos, Romano. Uh, I would not take Gallegos. So I don't trust Gallegos. Uh, I don't, well, it's not him. Uh, no, it's I, I don't trust the Cardinals uh, whatsoever. Uh, they are the team that is the 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 most obvious to pull. Uh, the we all think it's Gallegos. We all think it's Gallegos. They have a three one lead uh, first game of the season. The bullpen door uh, open up uh, opens out and. Look whose music is playing and it's it's the Undertaker who walks out and it's not Gallegos and it's like, what just happened? Or it's the seventh inning and Gallegos is coming in to to get the the valuable hold in the seventh. So I'm being a little bit um Glib, but I don't. I I would not draft Gallegos over any of these guys. In fact, I'm not sure I would draft him over the next tier down of guys. That's just me. I have no inside information whatsoever. Uh, but I'd be very happy to take Kenley, Will Smith, Romano uh, here, even though I would have Dylan Cease like from a valuation perspective valued um, higher than all of uh, those guys. I trust whatever happens with Kenley. Um, There is not a team in baseball that's going to sign Kenley for the amount of money that Kenley is going to receive to be a setup guy. There's just no team set up to do that. Maybe the Yankees, but that would be super weird for them uh, to do that. And anywhere else, uh, like anywhere he goes, he is going to be uh, the closer. So I I would draft him today with full confidence. Uh, Will Smith, I'm fine with and Romano. I really like, I think there's a, 10% 10% chance that the Jays uh, bring somebody in. But the problem with even saying that at 10% is, and uh, and Fred Zinke talked about uh, uh, Romano uh, with Jeff uh, on the podcast this week, I heard, um, he thinks there's no chance. I think there is a chance if Kenley's market is right. So if he, they could get Kenley on a one or two year deal that's not that expensive, they would do it in a second. They've got plenty of money. Kimbrel trade, I don't know if they match up for a trade, but I think they would take Craig Kimbrel's one-year contract and roll the dice and be very happy to have Romano uh, as the, you know, the fireman uh, put them all everywhere. Role. Those are two guys. And I think the likelihood that Kenley doesn't go back to the Dodgers, that he doesn't have a better offer somewhere else, and the Jays make the offer is pretty low. And like, who knows what's going to happen with the, with the Kimbrel trade. And beyond that, they're not signing Ian Kennedy to close in Toronto, right? Like, they, they're not signing, I don't know what other, um, column a. they're not signing and giving him the ninth inning over Romano. So it's literally two guys. And in an ordinary winter, they'd both be somewhere else by now. So we'd know Romano is a closer. And I think he's plenty good to run with a job for six months. So I'd be just fine with any of those three guys, kenley will smith or romano as my first closer uh in a draft uh this year i'd probably follow up with a second closer soon thereafter but I'm fine with that uh how about you uh given your answer for the third round question i assume if you have no closer here you're also taking a closer over dylan cease
1: <clears throat> yeah i mean the reason i asked this question is i it was kind of mostly a, a dylan cease question okay um, uh, I would take, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I, I'd probably take Will Smith uh, of the three uh, or uh, of the four. Um, I just, yeah, I think I, I just really like his his situation. Um, so let's tra- get to your. Then, then let's get to
2: your. Let's get to the Dylan Cease question from a different way. Uh, let's say you have a close or you have speed, but you want a starting pitcher. You want your second starting pitcher here between Musgrove, Gaussman, Cease. Berrios, Flaherty, who of those guys, uh, would you take
1: first? So, um,
2: assume they're all on board. So you have your pick. pick.
1: Honestly, none of those guys cease is the only one of, I would take cease. Um, I have not ended up with any of the pitchers you just listed in any of my drafts and, um the other three you listed aren't even really on my board um because i just absolutely love the pitchers who are going between picks like 80 and 100. um gotcha like you know trevor rogers alec manoa um charlie morton uh those are guys that i really really like as sp2s um and Cease is, I just find him fascinating because I'm just not, I'm not taking a starting pitcher in the range where Dylan Cease goes and I'm taking either speed or saves there. And I, so many smart people like him. It's almost, you you almost kind of get worried because it seems like it's just that the hype has gotten to a point where he can't possibly live up to the hype. Um, But if if everyone is right about him and almost kind of Logan Webb to a a lesser extent, but like if everyone's right about either Webb or Cease and they end up being this year's Corbin Burns, then it would be completely foolish to have passed on them in the fourth or fifth round.
2: I I think that the argument for Cease is, to me at least. Um, he's already had a 32% strikeout rate. It is really, really hard, even with strikeouts everywhere, uh, to get over 30% strikeout rate. And there are reasons to think he's getting better. And I think, and I don't have a study to tell me this is right, that it is easier for a pitcher who has a 30% strikeout rate and a bit of a walk problem to get the walks under control than it is a guy with pinpoint control to suddenly strike out 30% of the guys. Uh, you can increase your strikeout rate. We know you can. You can change your pitch mix, you can change, change your location, you can change your uh, approach. But making that leap into 30% strikeout range is wicked hard, and he's done it already before. So does he need to in- improve his command, his control, in order to to become that elite it's not fair to him to say Corbin Burns level because that's like Cy Young uh, level, but he doesn't need to do that to be a great pick here. But to be a top 10 starting uh, pitcher this year, which is still a great pick in the sixth round uh, if you're getting a top 10 starting pitcher, like you don't need to squint that much to see where things need to move. You go pitch by pitch through him like he has the repertoire. There's a lot there, but I'll leave that for your. Podcast with Nick Pollock. All you have to find out is that Nick also really dislikes Jazz Chisholm. And then you're ready for him as a guest uh to talk about these two topics for you.
1: Yes. Uh now the the pod I did with Phil, like one of my one of my takeaways from that pod was that um it would be kind of interesting to go the no starting pitcher route through the first four rounds and if if you do that, Dylan cease seems like kind of an obvious target as your first starting pitcher in the fifth round. Um,
2: what I would what I would say say to that is, uh, and I would say this if Phil were here uh, as well. first off, I'll believe that Phil is doing that approach in a main event when I see Phil <laughs> doing that in a, in a main event because um, that's certainly not his approach last year. Things may have changed. The player pool may have changed. valuation, you know, The valuation may have changed. But I think if you at home or you uh, here on the podcast are considering that, James, I think the important thing to do as you plan out a draft, and I, you can obviously win uh, doing that. There's nothing magical about taking a first round or a third round starting pitcher. What I do think, though, is important is pretend your draft is an auction again and um almost everybody if you were going into an auction uh draft would have some kind of plan of i'm gonna spend x percent on pitching and x percent on hitting at least that's my goal let's see how it goes but you i'm surprised i'd be surprised if there are many people who would go into an auction without putting little numbers next to each spot as just rough guides and see how it works out. I'm gonna spend this much on closures, this much on starters. I want two catchers and I'm gonna put aside 20 bucks for the catchers and, and so on. Um, a lot of people go into straight drafts and never really think about that. They may say, I'd like to take my first starting pitcher in round three and then a closer in round five and, and, and so on, but they don't necessarily say, and how does this all add up? They may say, well, I'm going to have my ninth pitcher by round 19, but I think that it's important. I have no idea if Phil does this, uh, or not my guess is he does. Uh, it's just a guess. Um, never talked to him uh but i've never actually spoken to him i've only uh, dm'd with him i look forward to hopefully seeing him in vegas too um but i think it's important to figure out like i am spending x percent on pitching um and i think the danger some people fall into um when you say i'm going to push pitching down is they end up spending a lot less on pitching than they ever would in an auction and if that's a conscious decision because you think pitching is risky, because you think you can you can manage pitching through fab, because of any reason, but you've consciously made the decision. Amazing. Uh, there, that's not. It's not. I'm not suggesting there's a right number, but make a conscious decision, because when you push it, you may find that you've spent lower than you wanted to, just because of how it worked out, and you can get into a bit of trouble
1: there. So let me let me just throw out this um, like let me kind of build this out and sort of see what you think yep. of it. So um, let's say I go uh, speed hitter in round one, speed hitter in round two, closer in round three, speed hitter in round four, albeit a speed hitter with maybe some warts because they're going in round four, but um, a speed hitter nonetheless.
2: Like an uh, put it give a name to it.
1: Uh, Randy Roserena.
2: Yeah, that's who I was going to say, but I don't want to put a word
1: in your mouth. Um, and then I take Dylan Cease in round five. Yep. Uh, I take um another closer in round six. Okay. I take uh Charlie Morton in round seven. Yep. And I take uh, I don't know, Justin Verlander in round eight.
2: Yep. So you come out of round 10 with five at five and five basically in your uh, in your scenario. Um, I think that's fine uh, in terms of a split. I think it's that's a, that's a perfectly balanced split. Uh, in some ways, you are as a if you put dollars to every round, um, that is probably a pretty traditional split. Like it's probably, and I'm I am nobody tweet at me saying rob you were off by six percent i'm doing this in my head with no numbers in front of me my guess is that's like somewhere between 30 and 37 percent um pitching just because the first the it's it's a uh, steep curve between the first round second round third round in terms of if you put dollars on it and giving didn't take a single pitcher in the first three rounds um that's uh, you You haven't spent in auction terms, your $30 pick, your $27 pick and your $25 uh, pick on pitchers, you spent it on hitters. But again, that's not bad. And as long as you keep in rounds 11 uh, through rounds, you know, 16, 17, taking in like in those next six to eight rounds, take another three to four pitchers. I think that's a very standard split. Standard is, I don't mean as a pejorative or as a compliment, but I think that's a very reasonable uh, split. Uh, there are other people, obviously, you know, who are going uh, pitchers in the first six straight rounds. They're swinging the other direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the key to that, that whole build working is you've got to get, you know, 60 steals probably from those first three hitters yes. you take. And then you have to hit, like you have to get, like yeah, Dylan Cease, um, Charlie Morton, whoever—like two of those guys—probably have to to really hit for you. As uh,
2: totally, and and uh, I'd like I've heard Phil. I'm I, I worried that we're like turning him into some kind of a deity that we're like quoting him as if he's he's a <laughs> biblical figure that, uh, as he said, in Deuteronomy 317. Uh, um, but like if your fifth through eighth starting pitchers, like including the ones on your bench, are materially better than the guy who took uh you know Garrett Cole in the first round, but then push pitching down and are using and streaming guys who are giving them a 4-5 ERA. Um, it doesn't matter where you're getting the stats from. Uh, if you if you dominate uh, starting pitcher spots 4 through through 10, and again, you don't use 10 pitchers in most uh, leagues, but I mean the guys off your bench or off the fab wire um, that, that you pick up. Uh, are significantly better than the guy who went Cole Wheeler to start the draft, uh, you can have a better pitching staff that way. Um, part of it depends on your skill set. If you feel I am really good at identifying mid round starting pitchers and I'm really good at streaming starting uh, pitchers, then you probably shouldn't spend like your uh, 12th round pick on your n- ninth starting pitcher because you're not going to be able or you're, if, if you are streaming starting pitchers and you spent that much draft capital on starting pitchers, you've probably wasted uh, resources. Uh, conversely, if streaming starting pitchers in a 15 team league seems like a really bad idea to you, you probably shouldn't take your ninth starting pitcher in round 27. Because you're going to have to stream starting pitchers because if he was there in round 27, uh, there's probably a reason why he was there in round 27.
1: I think part of the reason why you just don't see very many quote unquote smart players doing anything like this is you're just you're not going to come up with a set of projections that don't value the the very best aces as guys you should be going after in rounds one and two. And it's hard to steer away from that.
2: Part of the challenge is we've all gotten too smart. Um, It's like not not to sound like like father time here, uh, but it wasn't that long ago. Uh, The guy who I always use as an example for this is James Shields. And I know James Shields for most people is pejorative because of the Tatis trade. But James Shields when he was with Tampa had one, I can't remember off the top of my head what year it was, but he had one year which was superficially horrendous, but all the underlying metrics. So like he had a 5-5 ERA or something. Again, somebody's going to tweet at me saying, Rob, you're you're making numbers up. I am making numbers up. Uh, (laughs) Horrendous year, but, but every underlying number was still really good. But it was at a time where if you had like a five ERA, um, people wouldn't draft him the next year he would slide way down and if you were smarter than the crowd and you're like yeah but look at all his actual numbers he's still a really good pitcher you could get tremendous values late from those guys and you, you wouldn't be right every time because it's baseball and especially era is such a noisy stat uh even even if even even if the strikeout numbers and the walk numbers and the home run num- allowed numbers are, are uh, really good. You can have a bad ERA two years in a row because baseball, um, but, but you could get some real values. Those guys don't get, look, look at Aaron Nola, right? Aaron Nola uh, a decade ago drops, not to the 20th round, but Aaron Nola coming off, her last, off of last year drops multiple rounds. Aaron Nola's draft price is the same. Last year, he hasn't changed at all. uh, Last year, everybody's just assuming that. Well, Aaron Nola, in some ways, was better last year than he was uh, uh, previously. So I'm paying up for Aaron Nola. It's annoying. It's so that's part of what makes it so tough. Is we're all looking at the exact same thing. Some of us manipulate numbers and are convinced we have some secret formula that makes us this much uh, smarter. And with pitchers, you can dive in. You can spend an infinite amount of time looking at pitch mix, uh, breaking down uh, spin rates and, and, and everything. Uh, but at a certain point, uh, in a world where strikeout weight rate and walk rate are still the most predictive stat that you can find, and everybody knows that, and everybody looks at the same strikeout rate and walk rate, uh, numbers it's re- i agree with you james it's really hard to find these diamonds in the rough pitching uh why why is it's really tough
1: that was yeah that was good um we could i mean i could talk about starting pitching builds all day um let's let's get to this this next question uh and and this one i think is is interesting i'm, I'm excited to see where you take this so let's say it's it's late in the sixth round. You've got one starter, one closer, and you load it up on speed with your first three hitters. So, in theory, you've you've built a roster where you can kind of go any direction you want here in the sixth round. Uh, what type of player do you expect to be eyeing up there?
2: Um, I think, and I heard, I hear what you are saying, but I think I want my second starting uh, pitcher uh, there. So, if I am good for speed, so I, I, I. I Uh, I don't need uh, India. Uh, Actually, I should say this. There are two guys that I want. It's either Jorge Polanco, if he is on the board, or one of the starting pitchers uh, who are there in the sixth uh, round. Uh, Jorge Polanco, uh, and I know you have a question coming up that kind of takes him off the board, so I just wanted to do my Jorge Polanco uh, (laughs) rant. Um, He... I don't think people realize how good Jorge Polanco was and probably just is. Like last year he was bad in April. He only hit, he had 206 one home run in April. He was a atro- uh, it was atrocious. From May 1st on, he was tied with Aaron Judge and Pete Alonso for 12th most home runs in ba- baseball. Uh, of the players who hit 30 home runs from May 1st on, only 3 had more stolen bases than him, Tatis Sotani and uh, my boy Teoscar. Uh, only five players with 30 or more home runs had a better batting average than him, and only five had a lower strikeout uh, rate than him. Uh, he finished Rasball as player 26, I think it was uh, last year. Um, I'm not calling him as like a second round value again, but I have him ranked pretty close to that. Uh, I think I go like you go stat by stat uh, for him, and maybe that was a career high power. Uh, year, but I think he's still going to be a good power uh, hitter. I think the Twins lineup uh, should be uh, better this year. People forget what a good park that is uh, to hit him, and that he has multi-position eligibility uh, for in-season flexibility uh, is a bonus. So give me that in the sixth round every single
1: uh, day. Um, should my and, should should my Wander Franco question have been Wander Franco versus Jorge Polanco?
2: Oh Polanco in a second, like it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even pause to think about uh, about that. I would take that's actually the argument against tech taking the sexy new thing, whether it's Chisholm or uh, uh, or Franco. Is why would I take either of them when I can get Polanco? And it, like, is Polanco going to hit for the average uh, of Wander? No. Does he have the stolen base upside of uh, Chisholm? No. Uh, but boy, I like that floor a lot more and the ceiling from an earnings perspective, like a, a fantasy dollar perspective, uh, Polanco can easily out earn uh, either of them. So I have Polanco ranked ahead of him, of both of them, and I would take uh, him uh, over both of them.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been using Polanco as sort of, um, or I had been using him as sort of a, why on earth would I take Bobby Witt in the sixth round when I could take Jorge Polanco? Uh, but. Bobby Witt's ADP, I feel like, has been uh, slipping over the past month or two. Um, you've, so- you've,
2: you've done you've done God's work. If if, <laughs> if I were a Bobby Witt fan, you've 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 done the work of the Lord, James, uh, dropping down his uh, his price. Now you just need to find uh, like one of your apostles to do the same thing for you for for Chism. <laughs>
1: um you should you should still also take uh dance swanson over bobby witt so um keep yep. that keep that price uh dropping um so yeah your, your answer basically is jorge polanco or best starting one of those,
2: or best starting picture on my box on my, on my board
1: yeah that's interesting um i just i love this pocket of starters who go in like the seventh and the eighth um which is the only reason i sort of asked that like i i love i mentioned Morton, i mentioned manoa um, I've, I've really started to come around a bit on Blake Snell. Um, I, I'm willing to take Luis Garcia as high as the eighth round. And I think he's in for a, a huge year. I, I haven't taken Justin Verlander or Nadia Valdi yet, but I see the case. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I, I asked it because I kind of like the pitchers who go a couple of rounds later, as much as the pitchers who go. in the. So round.
2: here's, here's my warning for you, James. Uh, I think everybody does. And I think these guys are going to have a ton of, like I know, I know by definition, not everything can have helium and not everything can get pushed up uh, in March, but the problem is there aren't 15 of those uh, guys. And there's certainly not 20 of those guys. And I don't think there are going to be a lot of teams who are going to want to leave the sixth to 10th round with not a single starting pitcher, because unless you've gone like three starting pitchers in the first Uh, six rounds and I'm going for this tier of closers, like I need, where is my pitchers coming from? And therefore, I think there are going to be some wild runs on these guys. And if you are, if I'm picking at 15 and I'm like, look, the ADP for the last month has said, I can get one of these guys 30 picks from now. So why would I take them over here? You may find that I'm coming back in round eight Thinking that that like one of them will be there because that's what ADP said, and it's like holy cow! I am taking Eduardo Rodriguez uh, now, who I don't really even like because I need a pitcher, and they're suddenly all gone.
1: That's that's the funnest part about seeing the those first uh, main event draft results is just sort of seeing like oh crap! All right, uh, this is what's happening. Um,
2: um, the one thing I'll say about Justin Verlander is. I think if I simulated, again, the 2022 season a million times in this hypothetical world, I'm you know, an omnipotent uh, power and I could ru- run the season through for 162 games a million times. I think Justin Verlander outperforms Max Scherzer uh, 45% of the time. Um, actually that's not right. I think he outperforms him 35% of the time. Max Scherzer outperforms Justin Verlander, uh, 40% of the time. And in 25% of the time, one or both of them are injured and are old and broken, (laughs) but of the seasons that both of them make it to 150 innings. So take injury out of this, which again, injury is a big part of both of them, uh, their profiles. Um, I think that Scherzer is better than Verlander. 55-45, 52-48, put injury back into it. I'm not entirely convinced that Max Scherzer's that much safer than Justin Verlander coming off um, the surgery and full year of rehab. And the Carlos Radon argument of like, I'm really worried about Radon because the White Sox knew him better than anybody. They wouldn't even make him a qualifying offer. What do they know that I don't know, love the skills, but holy cow, they're a smart organization and they wouldn't even give him 15 million bucks. He's clearly a healthy Radon, is worth more than 15 million bucks. I'm out on him. Well, the Houston Astros know Justin Verlander and his rehab and his like recovery better than anybody. And they gave him a two-year contract, not a not like a, a Ken Giles two-year contract where it's, we don't really expect anything the first year, but boy, 2023 is going to be a good year. They pounced and basically outbid everybody in the market, shut down the market for two years, whatever it was, 50 million bucks, serious serious money for like a pitcher, Justin Verlander's uh, age. And they are very smart. They may be, you know, dirty cheaters, but they're they're certainly a smart organization. And they were aggressive ab- about it. So I think the Rodon argument works as well the other way for Verlander as not. And it's interesting to me, if you buy anything that I've just said, that Max Scherzer is People may not feel great about him as a first-round pick, but it's not like, oh, my God, look at all these idiots picking Max Scherzer in the first round, whereas Verlander is very much what you said, which is, yeah, I don't mind uh, Justin Verlander, but he's sure not a priority at, like, pick 100 or whatever it is. Well, if you buy what I just said, like, isn't he a
1: huge priority, pick 100? Well, I, uh, I, can, I can picture dozens of people listening to this and just being like rob shut the hell up Um, (laughs) (laughs) i've said too much unless i'm trying to drive
2: justin verlander's uh price up uh because suck it suckers now you're going to spend the sixth round pick on old man verlander
1: it'd be it'd be fun to like everyone like or for for us to just come up with like a list of um 10 starters going after pick 90 that we think will be going in the fifth round of main events and just see who can, who can get the most guys right. Cause I, yeah. um, he, so, yeah. so the,
2: but the, so the honest truth is, I think that um, you may need to take a starting pitcher in round six before the run starts, if you want mm-hmm. your pick at the litter. So it may be a luxury. You don't have to be screwing around and saying, well, I love the guys in round seven. You love the guys in January in round seven and early February in round seven. Uh, if you'll want one of them for sure, if you want to pick the guy as opposed to let the board dictate to me who the guy is, you may need to get him in round six, but I could be wrong. Like people are still taking speed, like miles straw. I want to talk about miles straw before we wrap up. So I want to make sure we get to the last question yeah. too.
1: Yeah. So I'll just do that. Um, so let's say we're, we're around pick 95, um, it's it's early in the seventh round. You are light on speed. That is something you did not address properly with your first six picks. Uh, Edmund's gone. Polanco's gone. India's gone. Varsho's gone. You are eyeing up Christian Yelich, Miles Straw, or the best player on your board who doesn't help with steals. What direction are you going to go?
2: Uh, so Miles Straw is not on my draft board. I will uh, not draft uh, Miles Straw uh i will not draft um players um and i'm trying this this is this is a self obviously by definition there is no the the hypothetical guy with a gun to my head uh from uh the um the earlier question is not here i've chosen to put this on i won't draft guys who have a projected ops uh of 700 or lower um uh my podcast colleague uh jeff zimmerman and tanner bell and the book, their wonderful book that if you haven't read, you should definitely read the process, have this chart that is seared into my brain, which is the percentage likelihood of a uh, player based on their projected OPS of hitting below 650. What's magical about hitting 650 or lower OPS is players don't keep their jobs. At six fifty or OPS, like it's just you're too bad a hitter to keep your job for more than a week or two, and therefore something has to change. Either you're hurt or you're sent down to the minors, or you you, you sit on the bench and work with the hitting coach uh, until you 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 can hit better. And for a player that has a seven hundred OPS it's basically a two in five chance, 40% that they're going to hit 650 uh, or lower, which if you think of the distribution of probabilities makes a, uh, a ton of sense. So this is not the likelihood that Miles Straw gets hurt. I'll assume he's young and fit and his likelihood of spraining an, amp- an ankle or pulling a quad are the same as any fit young uh, guy. Um, but a two in five chance of him just sucking so bad that he can't keep his job, is way 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 too high for me uh certainly in the first 10 rounds and so when i say the rule like if i have a guy in round 27 that i think he could be interesting then yeah i would take him like because those guys are going to get waived anyways the the first fab uh period but if it's pick i'm counting uh on it's just much easier for me to take it uh take the guy uh off the board and when i look back at Uh, If I'd had that rule last year and in previous years for every uh, Tommy Edmond that you miss out on, there are seven or eight guys every single season who lost their jobs, who lost playing time. So it's not an all or nothing Um, proposition. Like if I am, if I am taking straw, I'm counting on 600 plate appearances. He could get 200 plate appearances. And the answer always is, but Rob, who else do they have? They have nobody else. They're going to have to play Miles Straw. And the answer is, if somebody's hitting 650 OPS, there is always somebody better. There is, There just is somebody better in the system that they can find or off the waiver wire who can who can put up a 700 OPS, uh, at least. So Miles Straw, it doesn't matter how badly screwed I am in the speed at this point of the draft, is off my board. I'm sorry if it don't say that i've drafted miles straw in all four of my drafts uh so far and i was counting on him carrying all my teams to glory
1: uh i actually have i have no miles straw shares I, I think i am uh more willing to take him than you are um because well i know i am more willing to take him because uh, he, he's on my board but um i think part of the reason why I have been in on Tommy Edman um, in recent years and just have never been in on guys like Malik Smith or, um, you know, Adoli Scarce. Well, not Adoli Garcia, but just, you know, the, the Malik Smith types is just the, the defensive factor of like, I just think the guy is a good enough defender that he gets an extra bit of leash that, um, you know, a guy who's just kind of a, a butcher out there doesn't get and, when I combine the defense with that depth chart, I do think it's, I, I don't quite buy that it's a 40% chance. I'm not saying it's a 0% chance, but I think it's maybe closer to a 15% chance that he loses his job in the first three to four months. Um, and he's, he's, you know, let's say like, yeah, let's just going ahead of him. Anyways, um, you know, you don't want to, like I'm not going going to go into a single draft this year with the idea that I'm going to get Miles Straw but I guess I can see scenarios where I think he's the lesser of the evils available to me because I just I for whatever reason have messed up some bases but I am being extremely aggressive on steals earlier on um and that's why I haven't ended up with Miles Straw. Anymore.
2: The only thing I would point out uh on, on Miles Straw, because we shouldn't have a, a two-hour debate, you should do a separate podcast, a two-hour debate on Miles uh, Straw, is every single word you just said, other people, because I, I don't want to put words in your mouse, mouth, uh, made about Tavares last year for Texas. It's It was, look, I, I hear what you're saying, that he does not project to be a very good hitter, but who the heck could they possibly use in the outfield if not him, it's impossible and 10 minutes later it's like man nah, Delino de shields can do what he's doing or we have like guys you've never heard of before that we'll put out there because he's just struggling so i don't know that he will struggle i i, I am acknowledging fully when I say there's a forty percent chance of something happening, that also means there's a sixty percent chance of it not happening, which is, which, uh, without giving away all my secrets, is higher than forty percent. <laughs> but I don't think it's a good probability uh, play whatsoever. And the problem um, with the draft is when you've taken Miles Straw, when you take a Tavares uh, last year, if you use an example where it actually worked out. I write in, in pencil or or type into my yeah. um, rotolab um, that I've got 20 stolen bases, but but I need a little bit more power uh, now. So the rest of my draft now has an assumption uh, embedded uh, in it because I have a guy, it's the same as taking Gallegos as my closer. I have 30 saves uh, now. You're not backing up um, Tavares with more speed just in case Tavares loses his job. He was your ninth round pick or whatever uh, the hypothetical was um to so move you move on and and therefore it's a big hole uh when you realize he's just lost his job different from a guy that you have for 20 home runs three stolen bases and like 70 70. those guys you can you can you know plug away at, at filling uh the guy who i would take here it's not yelich it's the guy who somehow has become his like siamese twin in draft discussions This year, I believe in Cody Bellinger's bounce back more than Yelich. So, if I were, if I felt really good about my team and felt like I could have a luxury pitch, uh, pick, uh, here, and because I don't have a speed pick, but I'd like to have the potential at a bit of speed, um, I think the, I think if, I mean, it's easy to say if if I knew that Cody Bellinger was healthy and that he would stop screwing around with his swing and was smoking less pot uh, all season, then I think Cody Bellinger is uh, is a better bet for a, a bounce back than Yelich. It is really hard when you go through baseball history. And I like doing this and people, I think, roll their eyes like it's uh it's irrelevant and something that old guys do. But I, I like seeing if you, if I'm making a claim and nobody's ever done it before, at least understand that what you're trying to do is historic. It's But the opposite also works. There are not a lot of guys who have started their careers as good as Cody Bellinger and have just gotten bad suddenly. There are guys, obviously, who have been really good and then got hurt and just couldn't perform physically anymore. But I don't think that we think that Cody Bellinger's injury is so bad that he shall never recover again. And therefore, it is very hard to find a guy who starts a career at a very young age, is so good, um, and then just forgets how to hit. And Whereas Yelich is a much older and, um, there's a real scenario that it's like Miami Yelich again, there's a lot of other, I've, i both have health concerns about Yelich and I have performance concerns, uh, about Yelich. Whereas with Bellinger, if you could guarantee me that he's healthy, I will make the bet that he's good again and good Cody Bellinger is a first round pick
1: rob how excited would you be to see a video of cody bellinger that went viral in spring training because he made contact with the baseball
2: uh you you joke somebody who we both know who uh who i will not name because this would embarrass him and he'd get pissed off at me says he has a buddy who saw bellinger at a batting cage taking swings and he looked awesome and that he is Working out for the first time in his career this winter, and he has committed to smoking less pot. Um, and I roll. I could not have rolled my eyes harder when he, uh, when my friend uh, told me this piece of secret uh, intel. Um, it's look. So what? What could we get um, that would change my mind? Like give me confidence in spring training? Like. <laughs> It's not even exit velocity. Like if he what if he hits a home run, one hundred and twenty miles per hour exit velocity. What does that tell me? It's that Cody Bellinger is capable of hitting the ball really, really hard and really, really uh, far. It doesn't tell me he's going to be healthy for six months and stop screwing around with his uh, swing. I think you are making just a bet uh, here if you take Cody Bellinger. But I think on a risk reward perspective. If there, if, if there isn't Polanco there, if there isn't India, I would take India ahead of uh, Bellinger, too, if he was there, but he wasn't there in your hypothetical. I think it's, it's a, a risk I'd like to make, not on every team that I draft this year, but on one or two teams, because I think if it pays off, it can obviously pay off uh, huge for you.
1: I think we've touched on a handful of guys here where uh, we could see their main event ADP be be quite different than what their current ADP is. Um, Rob, is there anything else you want to want to say before we, we get going?
2: That was, that, I feel like I've said too much already.
1: <laughs> well, I really, really appreciate it, man. Uh, you've been too kind with your time.
2: Oh, and, no, this uh, was a ton of fun just sitting around talking baseball for, for an hour. This was great.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun here as well. Uh, this has been the Rodawire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. Clay and Todd will be with you tomorrow.
4: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around.